Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly, and I'm here with Anita Joyce, and this is Decorating Tips and Tricks. Today is episode 280, and we're going to be talking about antiques, collectibles, and vintage. What is what? How do you know the difference? How can you make an educated choice? How do you know you're not getting rooked? And how, uh, what the history of those terms are and how they're used today. And if you can want to be looking for the show notes for today's episode, you can head to decoratingtipsandtricks.com slash 280. And our sponsor for today's episode is Art to Frames. And that's a new sponsor. We're going to be telling you more and have a great offer for you later on in the show. So let's talk about vintage collectibles and antiques. Oh, you know, you're talking my love language. I know. I just got a little sweaty just saying those things. Well, and a part of it for me is I have so many antiques that really were not expensive. The thing about it is I feel like sometimes like it's my own little museum. I mean, in a good way, like not the kind where you stand back and everything's behind <laughs> glass, but where yeah. you can sit on the old chair, where you can pick up the old plate and don't you sometimes feel like you're preserving things oh, for I future generations? Live like, yeah, for sure. And I just, I love that whole feeling. Not like, oh, I'm a docent and I'm preserving these things for future generations that way. But I love knowing that somebody else sat in that chair, touched that. Like we put that, um, we had a tea set. Some of you have made have seen a few weeks ago mm-hmm. on the shop that Anita had unearthed someplace. And it was a child's tea set. And I, even From just looking at the pictures. 1890. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it just made me, I just was so happy to think that some little hands enjoyed mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and played with it. And I feel like that about all the books, everything that comes through. So, and I know a lot of you, we know a lot of you are really interested in antiques and vintage and collectibles too. So sometimes you're not sure what that term means. Sometimes the person you're dealing with doesn't know what that term means. So we thought we'd clear it up and give you uh, the the official definitions of those words so you'll be more educated when you're out looking for these items or to judge the things that you already have in your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you may have something worth more money than you think it is. I mean, it's always fun to kind of uh, have to learn more about what's in your home. Uh, Some things are going to be worth more than you think, and some things will be worth less. But And to be honest with you, that really does not impact my decision about what I like to keep and what I'm getting rid of. It's all about if it speaks to me. And if I think it's something that uh, my family would like to have handed down to them. For example, I just saw some silverware, some French silverware online, and it had my daughter's initials. So I don't know. I'm thinking about them. Oh, wouldn't that be great? I just don't know if she's going to really appreciate it enough, though. Well, I don't have to think about it. Well, that's okay. You will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. Look what I got for then you, I honey. might as well just get my initials. Then. <laughs> you might as well just get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me just give you the definition of antiques. Let's start there. Because, you know, there are so many buzzwords out there in the universe, particularly now. Like things like... Cage-free. Well, cage-free eggs and cage-free chickens and all that stuff. But if you really read into it and you learn things about it, cage-free doesn't mean cage-free. It doesn't mean that those chickens are out and they have their own backyard or anything like that, right? So the word antique or the word collectibles or the word vintage, it may not necessarily mean a what the, the collective 
universe thinks it means or what you in particular think it means. So I've seen them used interchangeably. Interchangeably, and I, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. but I don't think of it that way. Okay, you so tell us. an antique is something that is over a hundred years old. So that would have to be something that was made in uh, 1918 or before, right? Because of when you're listening to this. It's also something that's valued for its aesthetic or historical significance. So that's where it gets to be a little gray area. I don't think that's necessary, really. You think? Well, yeah. I I think it's it's the years. I think it's the age. So, Well, that's what I'm saying. That is a little bit more of the gray area. But the age is specifically what makes something an antique. Like that is like clear, right? right? There's no like somebody's aesthetic. I mean, historical significance, you know, certainly there's some things like, you know, the Liberty Bell or something, you know, like it's pretty clear. But other things, I might, I might think they're things that got left behind in this house have historical significance where another person might not necessarily care about this particular house in Pasadena in California. Um, so you could just uh, definitely rely on the fact that it's over a hundred years old and then also take into account that the item would be valued for aesthetic or historical significance. Like that even the U.S. Customs Compliance Office uses that definition of antique. So it, and it's something, you know, when you're talking about the value for aesthetic or historical significance, you know, it, that's, it's not just because it's old. Like, that a real antique when you get into sort of this gray area really tells a story, right? It has some personality. It has a place in time. So I think all those things go into whether or not something is an antique. And we can talk about later about, you know, what, how that those sorts of things may or may not affect the value. But if you want to just be purely on, uh, you know, something that's absolutely concrete and black and white, just use the 100 years. And then something that is a collectible, a collectible is defined as something that is, I bet you can fill in the blank, less than blank years old. So less than 100 years old, it sort of falls into that collectibles. Mm -hmm. See, now collectible to me, like I think of, you know, like Hummels or Smurfs or Cabbage Patch dolls or something like that. Like collectible to me, I would not think it would be anything that would even be close to being 90 years old. Do you use that term ever? Well, I, n- not that way. Collectible right. just means something that that is worth collecting in my mind, but I right. just use the vintage or antique. And so, I mean, are we going to talk about the term, what vintage means? Yeah. You want to do that? You want well, to- I, well, I mean, traditionally it means 20 years old or older. So it's obviously 20 to 100 years. If it's more than 100, then it's antique. Right. But I know there's been a movement to kind of say antique is anything 50 years or older. And I see the terms used incorrectly all the time on uh, online, uh, you know, because there's often something antique from 1988. And I'm thinking, really? Is that well, really here's antique? The thing. <laughs> yeah. When I thought of, you know, tossing this out there as a podcast episode topic, it really came about because I list the things on our store generally. And I was just calling everything vintage because that's just kind of the word. That's the catch-all word that I use. I say antique sometimes, I antique store. But generally, I'm saying, you know, I love vintage. Uh, you know, it's vintage this, vintage that, vintage books, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm listing these things all as vintage. And I'm thinking, but these are real antiques. Like, it's particularly this little tea set that came up and that all, you know, the vintage books that we have, they're all pre-1918, uh, mm-hmm. you know, generally. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they really should be called 
if I was being precise, they should really be called antiques. Right. Or right. antique books or, you know, antique. I think I might have called that tea set, antique tea set. But, uh, you know, if you're being precise, you really should pay attention to the, the uh, definition of each one of these words. And you certainly want to be precise when you're going to be opening up your wallet and paying someone, you know, at an antique show or an antique store or a vintage show or a vintage store. You want to make sure that uh, you know what you're talking about because sometimes they may not. Well, and it's interesting that you bring this up because I am just drawn to these very old dishes that are over that are over a hundred years old because there's just a very much a look to them. They look very different from dishes from the twentieth century. And so the tea set, I was kind of on the fence on whether or not to sell it because I really kind of wanted to keep it. it I thought my, I heard a big boohoo. I uh, yeah, you did because. Went. I, it was from my private collection. And uh, so it was, uh, so I sold it. And then I thought, what was I thinking? Of course, I am going to actually ship it to the sweet buyer who bought it. You are getting it. I'm Don't sorry. worry. I'm sorry. I've changed my mind. No, you are getting it. But then I was looking for a new set of uh, a child's tea set. And I found one that I love. But, you know, they had aged it. They said, oh, it's from 1890. And I said, well, how do you know? Because the pictures look like it's newer and I don't want it if it's newer. This particular thing, uh, because I want that feel of the old dishes. And they were saying, well, we're just guessing. And I'm thinking, I don't know about yeah. that. Like, then you can't say it's 1890, you know, if you're guessing. Yeah. No, you can't guess. So it it is, a, it is very different. Well, and something like the dishes the older clays, the way they were made uh, over a hundred years ago, is it's a different material than it's what is used now. So it is helpful to have that designation because they look very different, and I want to know if it's antique or not when I buy it because it has a very different look. I don't want to look it to look like it's from 1985, right? I mean, unless and if I you're buying online, yeah. it's hard to tell. Well, that's what I'm saying. If I can, and here's another thing I wanted to mention because. I know when I first started buying antiques, I was I was I was going to the auction, which also was kind of a little nerve wracking because you're bidding and you don't know how high to go. Oh, I know that. But I thought, a whole other thing. I thought I, I had re- I had watched so many movies. Like, did you watch Lovejoy, the antique dealer? I don't think I have. Oh my gosh, it was on A and E. Anyway, you've got to go back and watch Lovejoy. Okay. See if you can okay. find it. The thing was, I was always worried about what if I pay for an antique, but it's not really an antique. And so I kind of had the approach of, I am not going to pay more than I, I I need to just pay what it's worth to me, even if it's not an antique. So if I were to find out years later, this wasn't an antique that I won't be upset. And that's kind of the approach I had from the beginning, but because I really didn't know what I was looking at. But the interesting thing is I've been buying antiques for over 20 years now and you like so many other things in life, the more you're around the antiques, the more you know whether it's an antique or not by looking at it. You can tell. And I can't even describe it all, but I can usually tell whether it is on a piece of furniture, on dishes. You can, it's just, they, they, things are different. For example, those chairs that I bought, I told, uh, I told everybody on the podcast, I'm convinced that they're, they're authentic, uh, you know, basically from like 1800. And the reason, one of the reasons is because they're so lightweight. Uh, the wood, you just don't, they just don't, chairs are not that lightweight now. I think it has to do with the density of the wood and they could just carve it very finely and, and make them very, the you know, make them very thin. Now they're heavier because the wood's not as sturdy as it used to be. The rings aren't as close together. 
That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Well, the so pine, there's a, there's a, there's a little difference. tip. Like if you don't know, or you're in a, oh my gosh, you're in a thrift store and you come upon these <laughs> chairs like Anita did and you go to lift them up. If you can lift them with one hand, that's a clue because I think so much about antiques and collectibles, vintage, so much of what I love about it is the treasure hunting aspect of it. And sometimes you have to figure out whether it really is an antique, right? And that's part of treasure hunting, right? You have to turn it over. You have to look at it. You have to look for the crazing, the cracking. Now we have this new great tip about wood furniture, which I never would have known. Mm-hmm. Right. And and look underneath. There's very few... If it's new and you look underneath, you can tell. Is You pull out the drawers. Does it look new? Does it look old? Do you, is there a lot of dirt on the back? Does it look pretty aged? They're not really faking these. They're not really worth tons of money. So there's no value in somebody spending a lot of effort faking some some uh, piece of furniture to make it look antique if it isn't. Uh, and look at those, the dovetail joints. Are they all uniform? Are they not uniform? You know, what about the nails? Do they look all uniform? If they are, again, this was after the kind of the industrial revolution before nails were made individually. Uh, so, and then the dovetail joints, you want them to not look uniform. That is a sign that it's newer as well. But if you pull out the drawer and it's just all like, really the back of it looks really old, then it it probably is old. So I I think one of the tips is spend, if you want to be able to identify an antique or something vintage, spend a lot of time looking uh, at these items. And that's how you're going to learn. You've got to see them in person. You can't just see them online because there's a lot of information like the weight, like the way the back looks that you'll get from picking them up and looking at them versus just seeing them online. But another piece of information I wanted to talk about is the pricing, because I think that's the other thing that makes people nervous about is they say, I don't really know what this is worth. I've had a lot of people coming to me saying, I want to sell this. It's an antique, but I don't know what it's worth. And the, the advice I give to people is, and it is very regional. I mean, because that's, I have people from other parts of the country and I always feel a little awkward telling what I think their piece of furniture is worth because I know the market here, but it really does vary by area. What It's really, it's what the market will bear. Your item is worth what someone is willing to pay you for, for it. Well, isn't that the truth, right? It, it, you know, just because you say the word antique too, doesn't mean it sh- it's going to be expensive, that it really should be. It really, uh, the, the demand works into it. And as we said before, you know, that that the item itself, you know, is it interesting? Does it have a story? Does it have personality? All of that'll go into play as to whether or not there's a demand for it. And just like anything, real estate uh, to antiques, to vintage items, to collectibles, it's really what somebody's willing to pay for it. So since you can't go on Amazon usually to check what the price is of something, I suggest uh, going on eBay or Etsy or someplace like that and looking at the pricing at some of the vintage items. And then you're going to get a feel for the way things are priced. So you may find something it's not the exact thing that you saw on eBay, but it might be kind of similar. So you can kind of get a feel for the, the price range. And, uh, and, you know, and another thing is you can do reproduction if you want. I bought some French revolutionary plates and I bought the reproduction ones from the 200th anniversary of the revolution, which was, you know, 1989, you know, so not that old. They were, you know, not that old. 
um, I guess that is that vintage. I have to add it up. Anyway. I think that's vintage. Yeah, yeah, it is vintage. Right, they were vintage. But I just saw. I was interested to know. Well, what would they have cost if they were anti? If they were original to the, the real of the revolution? I yeah. found one on mm-hmm. eBay, and uh, versus I don't know. I think my plate was like twenty dollars a plate or something. These were three hundred a plate. Oh yeah. So, but that's the arbiter. That's how you're going to find out. Is go check on or go check in your furniture. Go check in a local antique store and check the prices there. Right. Don't you just love a great recommendation from a friend? Well, we're delighted to be recommending these companies and their wonderful products to you today. And let them know your friends at DTT sent you. So we're not anti-reproduction, but just make sure you know. But I think there's value in knowing what you're getting so that when you give it to someone else or you save it for your, you know, kids at some point, you can tell them this is a reproduction or this is antique or whatever. You know, I mean, this is the sort of thing or I because I worry about all these people whose people are inheriting in estates and they've got their silver plate and the sterling. I'm like thinking, do the people who are inheriting know which one's which and, you know, which one's the value that they should, you know, get a little more money for? And I don't know. I guess I'm just worried about people more than I should be. Maybe they'll figure it <laughs> I out. I think you're worried about them getting rid of their antiques before they get to you and let you preview them. <laughs> well, there's always about. that too. Yeah. But yeah, and you know, an antique is going to stand the true test of time. It's going to, you know, depending on the age, the condition, whether it's rare, who made it, the quality of the workmanship, and the demand for it is all going to come into play when you're talking about the price of it. But, you know, the bottom line is if you love it, you love it, whether it's an antique, a collectible, or a vintage. But it's really fun to have this information. I mean, I love that I, I definitely got two great tips from Anita today that I didn't know about. And I'm sure, you know, as you get into specific items, if you collect or you're looking for, say, transferware or something like that, you'll educate yourself. If you decide, oh, I want to start collecting a certain color or a certain pattern, then you can educate yourself on who made it, when were they making it, you know, when did they stop making it? So you'll know when you turn a plate over and you see the markings, you'll have a pretty good idea of whether it's the real deal and general sense of what the value could be based on the time frame and all that great information. So then you can make an educated choice if that's something you'd want to add to your collection or whether they're asking a good price or, you know, if you're lucky enough to be getting like the deal of the century because you bumped into it at a our state sale or something. Right. And that's a fun thing too. It's kind of fun doing a little bit of research. And I've been having really a lot of fun looking at like the chairs. I did some research to try to figure out how old they were and what style they were and, you know, where they were made. I've also had some fun recently with some plates that I've been looking at online that I was interested in. And I just was looking at the markings and then researching them to see what because it can be one company, but often one company would have, if it's been around for a while, 20 different hallmarks. So you know, you can look by the hallmark to determine how old the plate is. And I've been doing the same thing. I bought a lot of, I found a bunch of silver napkin rings. And it's been very interesting because some of them, the dealer wasn't sure which ones were silver plate, which ones were sterling. And so we kind of went through those together. But I've had to, but I wanted to know for certain what I had. So I've been doing a lot of research on those silver hallmarks and that's quite a 
that's quite complicated and involved doing that. Now, but when was, you say hall marketing, if, if people don't know exactly what you're talking about, could you explain that? Well, that is a stamp that they would put on the silver and it would tell you often there would be a stamp for the maker. So who, who was the silversmith? And then there would be another stamp that would determine, that would let you know whether it was sterling silver or whether it was silver plate. And often this marking would give a hint or a clue as to what country it was from. So there's certain countries. That's a lot of info there mm-hmm. on those little stamps. Well, and then here's another little tip. I mean, and this is all the stuff when you start collecting it, you start knowing all this stuff or you start figuring it out. The hallmark uh, for most silverware, whether it's silver plate or sterling, is on the bottom side of the, the fork or spoon. But on the French silverware, it's on the top. Because when you set your table with the French silverware, it goes upside down. And the most ornate part of the pattern and the monogramming is on the backside. That's so interesting. I well I I I find it so fascinating all of these things. So when they so now, even to today when French people are setting the table they're putting all like they're putting the fork upside down. Well, I don't know about today's generation, but um yeah, I've heard some people say, "Oh, yes, I now that you say that when I was growing up in France, my mother put it upside down and she said I didn't you know, I've had French people say to me like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's so interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they, you know, they were just eating. They weren't really looking at the silverware. So they're like, <laughs> it's like, oh, this is great soup. Who cares what the, exactly. which way the spoon is? <laughs> they weren't looking at the monogram like me. And I don't even care if it's my monogram. It's just, they're just yeah, so beautiful. I just want to eat some soup. I'll eat a spoon with anybody's name on it. That is so funny. Well, and so, then also like the French stuff, it's it's bigger for the, the antique stuff. But it's the dinner set is large and then the dessert sized is more like what we're used to in America. So all these things, there's all these clues when you look at old things as to what country it's from and how old it is and who the maker was. And I find it to be a really fun thing to learn all of this. So it's, it's I love going in the the antique store to buy things. I try to always buy something when I go just to help them out, you know, and, but it's, it's, you're it's so generous. generous I know I am. am. <laughs> I'm just here on my weekly visit to help you out. <laughs> go, give me those six chairs. <laughs> you crack me up. I, uh, I, I'm helping out all the thrift stores in the area as well. I'm just helping them out. I know you are because you're a caring person. Like I am. Me. That's why it's the only reason I'm here. I'm helping you out. That is funny. Um, I do come in every time, almost every time I go to visit my thrift store, I do bring them a little something. It's usually magazines because they, they sell, they resell the magazines. Do they or, really? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, um, you know, con- more contemporary books that were finished. Yeah. They have a whole section. You know, people will go in. I, I pick up magazines there um, and I'll just drop it off at the counter for them because I used to bring it um, up to the hospital but it's so hard to get in there and park and everything. So I feel it's, this is for the hospital. It still benefits the hospital locally. So I drop it off there. Um, oh yeah, there's one thing. Hey, should we should we ask everybody if they have an idea of what this thing is? I found this oh, item. Your, your discovery, yes. Yes. At so um, you know what most people I don't know what they text each other, but Kelly and I text each other our vintage and antique finds. <laughs> that, that's that's the essence of our text to each other. Yeah, yeah. And then those yeah, if you gifts. scroll through, you're like, 
chairs and what's this a piece of silver yeah okay so this has as befuddling my, uh, myself anita and my mom who i um, well no i didn't get in. a picture of the whole thing so i oh those must so have you come can't through. I'll, no i'll, well, I saw it just the end so oh, i need oh, to okay. see the whole thing to, okay. to weigh in okay. okay okay so i forgot you couldn't open those okay so now you can listen with everybody maybe you know the answer okay so it's this long it's a long, thin, almost like, you know, shaped like a chopstick. Like it's a long piece of silver. It's decorated, but it's thin like a stick, but it, it appears to be hollow. And then at the end, there's a rectangle, but sort of a rounded off rectangle, a little enclosure that has holes in it. So it almost looks like you would put something in there that you wanted to seep out. Almost like loose tea, but it's too, seems too small for tea. And that bit screws into the top and you can unscrew it and open it up. And so, so it's you not can put a cigarette in there, almost like oh, a locket. Oh, there it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm now seeing it. Okay. And you open it, it could open it. And I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, it, not it seeing looks it. like a, yeah, it looks like on one end, it almost looks like something, a, a, one of the, a tea ball. Right, but it's opens. not because it's sort of flat and it's not very big. So uh, when you uns- unscrew the end, and you can open it up almost like a locket and you can put something inside, but every, but both sides have these holes in them, you know, bigger than a pin, but not much bigger, these sorts of holes. So I originally thought maybe it was sort of a perfume diffuser. Or, oh, maybe. You know, you put some sort of solid mm-hmm. perfume in there or something. And then I thought, no, well, maybe you put it in your tea, but it's a very long, like a chopstick length. So that'd be kind of long and awkward for a tea thing. Then as I was taking pictures of it, I saw the end was kind of pressed together, almost like it would you would like smoke out of it. Like a vape thing. <laughs> Victorian vaping? I mean, that, that is I have no idea. Well, you know, so that, anyway, if oh anyone has any clue yeah, you what, see, just, what is in there, could we, if they, if they gave us some ideas. You need to ideas, post a picture. Yeah, you need to post a picture. And we would to love it. to see that. Well, you know, one time I bought something and sold it. It was a, it was an enamel thing that went on the wall and it was from France and it held water or something and it had a little spout on it. And I really didn't, you know, I, I sold it when I had my online store, you know, a couple of years ago with the Cedar Hill Farmhouse. And I found out later that it was the thing that you would hook the tube to for enemas. And I went okay, back. We're I- going to edit this part. <laughs> okay. Nobody wants that. I know. Okay. I just got an email over the weekend from this people. I have a couple of posts on enamelware and people are always asking. I get questions like a couple times a month. There's some like random piece of enamelware. And I'm so happy that people, you know, take the time to take a picture of their enamelware and send it to me. But, and the woman's like, and we were told it was a chamber pot, but of course it's not. And I was like, mm, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is a chamber pot. And yours? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, do so we if have anybody any- has any clue as to what this really interesting, I've never come across this. And my mom has been shopping for antiques for years and years and years. She never came across it. Anita's apparently stumped as well. No, so I'm if totally any stumped. of you have any clue what that is, or, or if you want a more of a description, maybe I can post it somewhere and everybody could take a looky. So I think, I do really think it's so fun. And I, I think it's the whole, I, 
you know, truly, I get all like little jittery when I pull up to my thrift store or if I see a sign for a state sale. Like, I'm just so into this sort of stuff. And I love the history of it. And I love learning all this. So if you feel the same way, I hope that you enjoyed today and you got a lot of information about how to tell the difference between antiques, collectibles, and vintage. And Anita gave some great tips on, you know, when you're shopping around, some very specific concrete things to look for. I think it's so helpful. If you have any tips, definitely let us know. And we have a reader question that we'd love to to, um, throw out there today and give the best answer we can. It's Annie, Annie M., all the way from sunny South Africa. Hi, Annie. Hi, Annie. Yeah. And so Annie wants to know, because it is summer there, how would you decorate for Christmas in summertime? You know, and people don't think about that, but really half the world is celebrating Christmas when it's hot out and we're all, you know, even here in California and where Anita is, I know we are warmer than lots of places, but we're not super hot. It's not on my hot time of the year. Um, And so it makes it a little challenging because when all this Christmas stuff is pretty much wintry looking. Well, I I guess one thing I would try to not well don't use anything with furs that's just gonna make you so hot looking at it so i would avoid any of the furry pillows that kelly and i love but i'm thinking about the colors and maybe using some cooler colors maybe some pastels would be great that kind of give a nod to the season that it's not winter i think i would stay light with my decor obviously you don't need a um i don't know maybe do a tree that's a different kind of tree that's not an evergreen and I think I would, I would, I would focus on the colors, making them summery colors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously your palette, and then staying away from the furs and the the tartans and things like that. I would just stay away from anything that really says, you know, Christmas by the fire sort of thing, or or warm fabrics, because there's a lot of fabrics you could use for your stockings or something that aren't uh, heavy. Right. Right. I'm thinking uh, white, or like either crisp white or a creamy winter white with green and doing maybe a different tones of the green, um, going sort of a lighter, maybe sagey celadon green. And then maybe your deepest would be a boxwood sort of green, not a deep, deep, deep forest green and not the traditional Christmas green. And then I would use a lot of boxwoods because I think you can use them all year round. Mm -hmm. And they are not, you know, they're not holly, but they're giving you the green that you might need. And it's also giving you um, something natural and live. Uh, So I think that might be really fun. And then it's also not pine, which seems like you're not going to have a pine forest. So if you did boxwood garlands, they have faux or for real. Um, And then maybe mix in a little gold. I I think that would be beautiful. I don't really like, I mean, you know, and I don't know if Annie is near, really near the water or whether, you know, she's more inland. But if you're thinking, sometimes when you're doing Christmas and it's, summer or summertime temperatures where you are, people tend to go real coastal. And I don't know, I coastal and Christmas, I don't know. That's a hard one Santa to pull Santa in off a bathing well. suit. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, you could do starfish and stuff like that, I guess. But I think it's a little harder to do it. I might just avoid those seaside inferences. And I would just focus on changing the color palette, making it light, like I suggested, the white and the green. And then... um 
doing a lot of the normal things you do, the stockings and all of that, but yeah, doing it in different, don't do velvets, you know, do maybe a matelassé or something like that. Right. And I think uh, mercury glass, mm. silvers, I would do a lot of silver and mercury glass. To me, that's not real wintry feeling. Yeah. And I think there's so many choices now, not like in the old days. So, I mean, there's really, I think she can, I think you can find some fabulous things that are kind of summery colors for Christmas. I don't think that'll be probably not a big problem, especially there. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's not the only one. You are, you are not alone. Annie uh, that's what, you are that's not what alone. I'm thinking, Annie. Yeah. So anyway, thanks so much for your question. We hope that we answered you and we hope you're listening. I'll email you and let you know what day it's going to be out. And um, thanks to everybody else. And thank you for listening. It's so fun hanging out with you. Remember, we're here to inspire you to create a beautiful home. Until next time. Hey, everybody. We want to thank you so much for listening to Decorating Tips and Tricks. And we want to make it even easier for you to listen. And it's easier if you subscribe. You just click the subscribe button on our website, www.decoratingtipsandtricks.com. Or you can subscribe through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite podcast listeners. So until next time.